welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. This is Cecily speaking. About a week ago, I had put up a poll asking you guys what you want to hear in the future on the Boom Clap Podcast. You guys had a lot of really great topics, really interesting ones, ones that I kind of didn't even see coming, others that I did, and I don't know, really excited to get to some of those topics in the future with you guys. But one of the things that someone had suggested was that they wanted to hear the testimonies of Rita and myself. So I'm going to give you my testimony today, the journey of how I came to know the Lord. And I'm excited to share it with you guys. I think it'll really help you to understand me as a person a little bit better, kind of get to know me a little bit better, get to know why I love the Lord as I do. And I hope it can be an encouragement to you. Maybe you'll see some of yourself in me. Maybe you'll think that you're completely the opposite of me and you'll wonder why I'm so crazy. Um, But, you know, a testimony is not something that's our own. Our testimony is something that really belongs to the Lord. And it's the work that he's done in our lives as he draws us closer to him. So I'm going to share it with you. And... I'm just going to let you know that from the very beginning, from day one, God has always been working in my life. Most of the time he was working faithfully behind the scenes, totally undetected by me as I was carrying on with just whatever was in front of me at the time. But I've known the Lord since I was a little kid. I was so blessed to grow up in a Christian home and I had honestly such a great childhood, like a beautiful happy childhood. My parents were just really open and real. They were confident yet dependent on God. There was nothing fake about the life that went on inside my home. And if you know my family, if you know my parents, if you were around us as kids, you would probably attest to that as well. So that growing up in that environment was really helpful in laying the foundations for an authentic faith at a really young age. Like I cannot tell you guys for sure when I came to know the Lord. Like there's not this moment that I remember, you know, saying the prayer and asking the Lord into my heart. He was just always there. And in my childhood years, I honestly had a really very deep spiritual relationship with the Lord. I spent a lot of time reading the Bible and praying, honestly, started probably reading the Bible when I learned to read. And I would even write out devotions and little sermons, and I would share them with my family. I just really liked, my favorite thing was to just be quiet and to be with God. And I was often worshiping him, even when I was just all by myself. So this deep relationship with the Lord also presented an opportunity for spiritual warfare, so as a kid, probably grade four or five or something, maybe grade six, I was, I was young. <laughs> I would experience a lot of fear. And I say the word fear, but it's honestly not a great description. It was definitely something more. So what would happen is I would be perfectly fine one, mo- one moment. And then the next minute, I would just feel this immense weight, like an actual physical weight and a darkness. And I would feel like I needed to run away from where I was. So it wasn't just this fear feeling inside of me it was also geographical in a sense like I would feel like I needed to get away from that location and go somewhere new in order for the feeling to go away so it was really this very real dark presence and I know 
I know as I sound it, as I say it, that that definitely sounds weird. Um, And I've had atheist friends try to explain it away as anxiety, but I know that it wasn't. And I know that for sure. And I would pray when this would happen and I would say the name of Jesus. And if I had my Bible with me, wherever I was, I would read it and I would just hold on to it. But what I noticed, honestly, is that when I would say the name Jesus, the feeling would leave. It would go away. But the thing is, it would come back. It would come back at a later time, whether it was later that day or night or the next day. And at one point, I just reached a point where I couldn't keep it a secret anymore. And I shouldn't have kept it a secret at all. But I remember the day where it just became too much for me to handle and it was a sunny day and we lived on a farm and we used to have this big garbage bin. I don't know if you know the kinds that you would have on like farms or at businesses and stuff where it's literally this giant bin and the garbage can the garbage truck would just stick their forks in it and lift it up and dump the garbage into the back and then put the big bin down again. Like it was one of those. And as disgusting as this sounds, I used to love going outside and just laying down on that bin and like reading a book or the Bible or something. And it was warm. That's why I liked it. Now thinking back, I'm like, that's disgusting. It probably stank like garbage. It was probably dirty. But to me, it was just warm. It was a warm and cozy place to be. So anyway, that's where I was on this day where it all became too much. I was outside on top of the garbage bin. And then all of a sudden, boom, this feeling, this dark presence just hits me. And I remember feeling that same feeling like I had to get away from the spot where I was. And I did. But this time, instead of just running away and keeping to myself, I ran to my mom and I told her what had been happening. And she stopped what she was doing. She was actually she was just hanging clothes on the line, as she always did. And I just remember it so clearly, though. She stopped what she was doing and she prayed with me right away. And that feeling went away then and it never came back. So as a kid already, the spiritual world was very real to me. And I had personal experience seek prayer in the name of Jesus at work and making a difference. And it was amazing. It was a scary thing for a kid to go through, but it was an amazing thing to see Jesus at work. So then I grew older as we all do. And we got into, I got into the teen years And things began to shift, as things tend to do when you get into the teen years. And my relationship with the Lord was still important, but it was often being shuffled back by competing things like sports, like homework, like friends. And I was a really dedicated and hardworking student and athlete. I was extremely competitive in almost everything that I did. And I felt that I always needed to be the best. Um, And once my coaches and teachers saw me performing well, they continued to hold me to this higher standard. So if I, for example, had like an off basketball game, I would be devastated. And my coach would ask, he literally asked what was wrong with me. (laughs) And I hated the feeling. I absolutely hated the feeling of not measuring up, not to this necessarily external standard or someone else's standards, but to the standard that I had set for myself. And it got to the point that I ended up quitting sports because I was afraid that I wouldn't be the best anymore. Or maybe I was just afraid that my bad days would overtake my good days. What I told people is that I just didn't want to play anymore. But the truth was that it was really about fear and control. And that really set, I guess, the bar for the next 
um, few years of my life, maybe five to 10 or so. So like I said, this continued, this feeling of fear and control intensified as I got older. So I met Kyle. He's my husband, my wonderful husband. When I was really young, I was maybe 14 or 15. He was my first and only boyfriend. There's some debate over how old I really was. I'm not honestly sure. I was too young to pay attention, (laughs) but we got married when I had been 19 for only about 28 days. So I had just turned 19 and believe me when I say I wouldn't have it any other way. Not saying that getting married is young is right for everybody. It was absolutely right for me and my husband. And I, I really wouldn't have it anyway because he is the perfect man for me. However, that being said, I really had no idea what I was doing in life. I became a nurse. Um, The story of how I became a nurse is actually kind of sad, funny and sad looking back. But I was about 17, probably 17 years old. And I sat down at the computer and I asked Google what would be a stable and safe career that paid fairly well. That's literally how I decided to become a nurse. So... (laughs) Obviously, there was no prayer that went into that. There was no assessment of the gifts or skills that God had given me. It was literally about picking the job that was safe and stable and would get me the things in life that I thought were important at the time. So went into nursing school. I studied way too hard. Again, because I wanted to be at the top of the pack. Why? I don't know. But I would study to the point of memorizing textbooks and notebooks that were filled with information and When I say memorize, I really mean memorize. Like I could take my large coil bound notebooks that were filled front to back with notes and I could recite them without looking. I would hand the notebook to Kyle and just say, hold that, let me know if I screw up. And I would (laughs) recite what was in there front to back. And it was like a a photographic memory, a very stressful photographic memory. I don't know what happened to that photographic memory. It would be handy nowadays, but it is gone. I no longer have it. But I studied way too hard. And because of that, I also just couldn't sleep. (laughs) And what I did is I started taking gravel at night just to help me get to sleep. And you guys in the US, you don't call it gravel. I think you call it I'm going to say Dramamine. I'm not totally sure. We don't call it the same thing in the US and Canada. So I wasn't physically dependent on it, but I very much was mentally dependent on it. It's like, okay, I'm just going to take a gravel. It'll help me sleep. Got to the point where it was like, okay, Kyle was hiding my gravel because I was becoming so dependent on the fact that I, the idea that I needed that to sleep. I didn't, but it was a mental thought. And it just, it's scary because you just realize then how easy it is to go down the path of doing things that you shouldn't and becoming dependent on things that you shouldn't become dependent on. So anyway, thankfully that didn't last long. Um, but I got through school. I finished school on the Dean's list. I was among the top three students in the class and I'm not exaggerating when I say it nearly killed me. So after that, I worked in various nursing jobs, but I was always looking to get ahead as I always had before. And I did get ahead at the age of 23 already. I became a supervisor. I was in charge of about 60 staff working in the community and healthcare. And I was coordinating the care of over a hundred clients. And I would get over a hundred emails a day that I would need to like triage and decide what was most important. I would get nearly as many phone calls. And usually the types of calls and emails that I got would require immediate action or they involved emergency services. 
it was high pressure. The days were high pressure and I was a baby, but I liked being at the top and I became the nurse in the office that our team lead would get to train new staff. I was the only one for a period of time that they would have training new staff. Um, And I just became a point person for things, you know, and I could hardly hold everything together, but I wouldn't let it on because I still could handle it. And in my mind, I still had control. But all of that began to change when I had my first baby. So I got taken off work when I was about 20 weeks pregnant because I was having constant contractions. It was every four minutes like clockwork from 17 weeks until my baby was born. They kept thinking that he was going to be early um, and he wasn't. He was actually born right on his due date. And when he was born, it ended up going really fast, probably because my uterus was in really great shape from all the contractions. But despite that, he actually ended up being an emergency C-section. He didn't cry when he came out and he was almost immediately sick. He looked perfect when he was born. He looked absolutely perfect. But as the days wore on, he got skinnier and skinnier and his skin just kind of started to flake off and he couldn't eat properly. Anyway, he stayed sick in some way, shape or form for for almost four years straight, actually probably longer than four years straight. And it became really apparent to me at this time, I finally had to acknowledge that I no longer had any control. There was nothing I did that could help him. And believe me, I tried so many things. He didn't have the strength or ability to, ability to breastfeed. He was allergic to almost every formula that was commercially available. And what we ended up doing was actually borrowing breast, felt, breast milk from my sister-in-law who also had a baby at the time and she had plenty of milk while I had almost none. So not only could my son not feed effectively, I also just didn't have a whole lot of milk. And we ended up just using a little tube to feed him because he couldn't um, handle using a bottle or anything. So when he was a few months old, we discovered on me a huge lump on my throat and it protruded substantially. And obviously that's a concerning thing anytime you find a lump. So I went to the doctor and found out quickly that it wasn't cancer, but I did get diagnosed with thyroid disease. And this is a story all on its own that we will probably talk about someday, just my journey with illness and autoimmune disease, but that's not the topic for today. But at the time when I was first diagnosed, my doctor just told me, take this pill and you'll have to take it for the rest of the light, your life. You'll probably have an increase in your dosage, um, but that's just what you're going to have to do and, and then you'll be fine. And so I was like, okay, it's not cancer. I'm happy. At this young age, I was like 23. I didn't think anything of it. I just started taking the pill and I can tell you I was not fine. <laughs> and it got worse for years until I finally learned I had to address the root cause found out it was autoimmune. Anyway, like I said, that's a whole other story, but it's an important part of my story. Um, and I will tell it some other time, but I was just thankful at that time that it wasn't cancer, but it became apparent again, that there was nothing I could do on my own power to control what was happening in my life, inside my body, or even inside my son's body. And the whole first year of his life is just a blur. I hardly remember any of it. I wish I could remember these feelings of enjoying it. But what I remember the most, honestly, was just this stress, this worry. 
and the worry would lead to research and the research would lead to worry and the cycle would just go on and on and on and I couldn't figure out how to help my son I couldn't figure out how to help myself and a few years in um, I weighed maybe 100 pounds and I'm five foot ten so 100 pounds is really not a good thing Um, I had caregiver burnout, honestly, from caring for my oldest son. And at this point, I also had two other babies, living babies, and I had been through four miscarriages. My body was just, it was not healthy. And it finally became so clear to me that I am not enough all on my own. And it was so many painful years before I could really truthfully admit that and I know that that's not a popular message. You know, the popular message for women nowadays is you're enough just the way you are. You're perfect the way you are. Well, I can tell you, and I don't mean this to sound offensive. It's just the truth. You are not enough on your own. You are not enough on your own. Neither am I. I need the Lord. I could not fix things on my own. You cannot fix things on your own. There's things we can do to help ourselves, but ultimately we are not in control. And God needed to show me that he is the creator and the sustainer. It is not me. I was trying to sustain and create this peace in my life. And I could not because he is the creator and the sustainer. And I could not plan my life to fit into the neat and tidy boxes that I wanted And I wanted to live only for my safety and comfort. And God just showed me that is not the goal. That is absolutely not the goal. Our comfort and safety on earth is a perk at times, (laughs) but it is not the goal of a Christian life. So God changed me. He used the hard things that I went through to change me. But at the same time that he was changing me, he also returned me. To who I once was. So I know that sounds like a bit of a contradiction that he would change me and return me to who I once was, but I'll try to explain it. So I say he returned me to who I once was because I became again like that worshipful, God seeking child that I once was. And I say that he completely changed me because I no longer am ruled by fear at all. (laughs) Maybe I should have a little more fear sometimes, but it does not rule me at all. And I don't care to control anything or be the best anymore. I really don't. I've gone from having to be at the top of the so-called American dream to not caring about it at all, to actually wanting to pull the American dream apart a little bit. So... I've quit being a nurse, I homeschool my kids, and the life that I live now is so opposite of what I expected my life would look like. And I am so thankful. I am so thankful for that. Like I said at the very beginning, God has been working behind the scenes, always, 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 and he has never let me go. I can't imagine living life without him. And I can't imagine who I'd be without him. And I'm incredibly thankful that from now until eternity, I will be worshiping him and I will be serving him. So that comes with, I want to say responsibility, and it is a responsibility, but it also comes with this deep desire to make the most of what God has given me. Because 
what I have in life, it is not my own. It is not my own. And there is this measure of peace that comes with that. Even when I think of my kids, like they are mine, but they are God's first and he is entrusting them to me on earth. He's entrust, he's trusting me to be their mother. He gave them to me because he chose me for them. And that is such a big thing. And so I want you to think about what God has trusted you with in your life. And I'm just going to read the parable of the talents from Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. And then we're just going to talk about it a bit. Oh, and for those who may not know, talents, it's not talking about like the things you're good at. <laughs> in this passage, it's, it's talents are a form of money and it's quite a lot of money. Um, but honestly, it can apply to the things that you're good at as well, because that's also something that God has trusted you with. So I'm going to read this parable starting at Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each of them according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that parable has always been so influential in my life. Because like I said, everything that we have is from God. Nothing is our own, okay? And it is up to us to be faithful with what he has given us. We can't just be fearful like I was for all those years and hide the talents in the ground. It is our responsibility and our privilege to put the things that God has given us to work, to invest in them and to invest them and to have a return that is so much greater. And when I think of being a parent, especially, man, what a thing for God to trust me with these, these eternal souls. And it is 
such a responsibility and a privilege and it is our job to be faithful with that so these people in the parable they were servants of the master but essentially they were being called to steward what the master had given them and in the same way we are being called to steward what the lord has given us so i'm going to just give a little list of some of the qualities of a good steward and i'm sure i'm going to miss them like many But to be a good steward, we must believe and understand that everything we have is not our own. Secondly, we must believe and understand that everything we have belongs to God. Third thing is that in everything we do and with every decision that we make, we must look first to how we can serve the Lord. And we must always invest the things that he's trusted us with into kingdom work. And then fourth, we must love God first and then love other people second. And stewardship is so important. And as we consider what good stewardship looks like, I'm going to read this short verse from 1 Thessalonians 5, 4. It says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So that's the verse. And let's get one thing straight before we start. It's not proposing that we literally stay awake and never sleep. Okay. I'm a big fan of sleep so much so that even though my husband doesn't snore, I wear earplugs at night. He breathes and that's enough to annoy me when I'm tired. So I do think actual physical sleep is very, very good. But what we're talking about here is spiritual sleep. We must not fall asleep spiritually. We need to be awake and sober. So as a mother, There's nothing that motivates me more than thinking of my child's eternity, okay? And I know that that just went from earplugs to intense really quick, and I'm sorry about that, but I'm so thankful for passages like this one from 1 Thessalonians because they keep me from getting complacent and distracted. We as a people, don't we just, we just love to be distracted, am I right? Like there are entire industries built around the fact that humans like to choose distraction over the hard things in life. You know, it's so much easier to choose distraction over the hard things. And we have algorithms that have been perfected to keep us lulled into the comfortable and entertaining state of distraction. But here's the thing. Distraction kills. Yes, it can physically kill you. Say, if you're a distracted driver, it can physically distract you. But I'm not talking about the distraction that kills right away. I'm talking about distraction killing you in an insidious and in a sneaky way. Distraction preys on our weaknesses. And for a mother who is raising eternal souls, distraction is a tool of the enemy and it is such an effective one. So when Paul is writing in this letter to the Thessalonians to stay awake, he's calling them to not fall asleep at the spiritual wheel. He's reminding them that they have been trusted with one life. And he's reminding us that through Christ, we've been given a gift that is not to be wasted. He's also reminding us that through Christ, we have been equipped to stay spiritually awake. Okay, this world is not forever. And tomorrow is not guaranteed. But God has a promise for those who are in Christ. He has a promise for those. He has a promise for those who stay awake and sober minded. And that promise is what I want for my children. That promise is what I want for your children. And because of that, I will lift up my life as an offering every day. 
and I will stay awake and I encourage you to do the same. And that, you guys, that boils down to why Rita and I started this podcast, right? We say all the time that it's about values. Well, where do values come from? They cannot be built upon nothing. They must be built upon something. And for the Christian person, those values are built upon the foundation, the cornerstone that Christ is. And it is our job and our responsibility and our privilege to make sure that those values are upheld in our own lives. And there's going to be times, as we're seeing all the time, where the values that the world holds are in contrast to the values that we hold. And we may not ultimately have power over that, and we don't, but we do have the ability to hold the values up high in our own family, to be good stewards of what God has given us to forsake distraction and instead choose intention, right? So that is the goal behind this podcast, not just this episode, but the podcast as a whole. Um, We just want to encourage you guys to understand your foundation, to understand what values that foundation brings into your life and to give you encouragement and to edify you in your pursuit of living a life that reflects those values, not for your good, but for the good of those around you, for the good of your children, for the reflection that that will give of Christ to a watching culture who needs him so badly. So I hope that that testimony and sharing of the parable that I read, I hope that was encouraging to you Thank you for always listening. Thank you for being so supportive. I truly believe that Rita and I have the best community surrounding us. And we truthfully, honestly, honestly, guys, we were so scared to start this podcast. And it has become such a blessing. And it's just another one of those things that I feel God has given us that we need to responsibly steward. So if you get to the end of this podcast and maybe you know in the week ahead if you ever think of us you think of Rita and I if you think of the podcast send up a prayer for us like like I said in my testimony this is not something that I can do on my own this is not something that Rita and I together can do on our own and we honestly don't even have a desire for that our desire is that God would lead us in this and Our goal is to not ever say things that aren't true, but to say things that are built on truth so that there's no darkness that comes with this, but but light in the midst of darkness. So please pray that God would just give us wisdom as we continue with this because we truly need it. We truly, truly, truly need it. So thanks again for listening. I hope you guys have a great week. If you want to find us outside the podcast, you can find Rita on Instagram at Rita Rogers Co. or on her website, RitaRogersCo.com. And you can find me, Cecily, on Instagram at Cecily.Dickey or on my blog, which I haven't done anything on in so long, thegracetogrow.com. 